Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us this morning and direct our footsteps according to your word. And so, Lord, we pray that as we live according to your word, that you would not let sin reign in our bodies, but instead, Lord, we pray that we would be submissive to the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, again, we continue our series this morning in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 we're up to, and we've been learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done and how that results in a change in behaviour in us. If he has forgiven us of our sins, then we are required to live according to his ways. And last week we saw the importance of setting our mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the Apostle Paul is going to continue to direct us as to how we are to live if we are servants of the Lord Jesus. If we are servants of the Lord Jesus, then we're to live a particular way. And we see that in verse 5 and 6 this morning. These are the verses that we'll be concentrating on in Colossians chapter 3, that we're meant to do something according to verse 5, which is put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We are meant to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And we're meant to do it because of what has come previously. There in verse 5, we see, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Once again, pointing us back to the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He acts first and then we act. As he has cancelled our sin, as he has forgiven us of our sins, then we are to act a particular way. As we have died with Christ, as we were reminded last week, and been raised with Christ... We are then to act a particular way. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, we are meant to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to explain some of the things that belong to our earthly nature. And that is there for us in verse 5. What belongs to our earthly nature that the Apostle Paul is first concerned about? We read in verse 5. Look with me now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The first things that the Apostle Paul is concerned about in this chapter, after he has commanded us to put our mind upon Jesus Christ, is sexual sin. We see that there in verse 5, sexual immorality. Related to that, impurity. Related to that, lust. Evil desires, which is related to sexual immorality as well, and greed, which is idolatry. Some commentators might want to distinguish some of these out from being particularly about sexual immorality, but I think the whole list there is relating to sexual immorality because greed is also shown in the way that we can be sexually immoral, that we consider uh, that we want more and more of the sexual sin that we're engaging in. The other translation for that word greed at the end of uh, verse 5 that other translations may have is actually covetousness. And so some commentators do say, oh, well, this is about coveting money. But when we look at the 10th commandment and we see, what does it say? We shall not covet our neighbour's wife as well. So sexual sin is involved in the command not to covet as well. And so I think that this list here is primarily about sexual sins. The Apostle Paul is not only concerned about sexual sin, as we'll see in later weeks. If we go down to verse 8, we see that there's uh, sins of anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language, uh, which we will look at in weeks to come. But the first thing that he's interested in is sexual sin and how we're meant to Put sexual sin to death. Why are we supposed to do that? Well, the Apostle Paul has told us that it's because we're a changed person. The word therefore referred back to the death and resurrection and the new mindset that we have. And so we are meant to be progressively becoming more holy, sanctified as Christians. 
We have a holiness that is given to us by Jesus. We call that definitive sanctification. But then we also have this progressive sanctification where we gradually live up to what we've already attained. It's this tension that we have as Christians, that we are holy because of what Jesus has done. But then we live unholy lives. And so we're gradually meant to become more and more holy as Jesus is holy. But there's another reason that's given in the text to us as to why we should put sexual sin to death, not just because of what Christ has done, but we read in verse 5 that we should not uh, engage in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. The Apostle Paul wants to remind us what is going on when we engage in sexual sin or any other kind of sin, generally speaking. This covetousness, this greed that is in us is ultimately idolatry. Now, you may think, oh, well, how does sexual sin relate to bowing down to idols? Well, idolatry is more than just simply bowing down to graven images. Idolatry can be a worship of anything, including ourselves. And that is often shown in the way that we commit sexual sin, that we have created an idol within ourselves. We're worshipping ourselves when we engage in sexual sin. Sexual sin is often brings out the pride in us so much more clearly than we see in other sins. What happens in sexual sin? You think, I am the special one and the other person has to be enthralled with me and think I am the great one who is willing to, uh, that, they are the, that I am the great one and they are the one that is there to serve me and make me happy. And so this person there becomes our slave, so to speak, and we are the God, and that person is serving us. There's a book that's on the church library about sexual sin, and it's entitled, It's All About Me. And it's true. When you consider sexual sin, the fantasies that go on in your mind and your interactions with others in sexually immoral ways, it is all about you. You want the other person to serve you, and it shows that it is idolatry. You've put yourself up as an idol. And are expecting to be almost worshipped by yourself, but also the other person that you're interested in in a sexually immoral way. So we've got two reasons so far. Because of what Christ has done, we should put to death what belongs to our earthly nature. And secondly, because it's idolatry. There's a third reason given, and that's given in verse 6 by the Apostle Paul. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Why? Because of sexual immorality. Of course, because of other sin, but here the Apostle Paul wants to make clear that sexual sin leads to God's wrath. The wrath of God is coming. God takes sin seriously, including sexual sin. It's a case of either be killed by sin or be killed, uh, kill sin or be killed uh, God, or have sin be killed by God's wrath. Either we kill sin in ourselves or we are killed by God's wrath. When we play with sin, sexual or any other sin, we have to remember we're playing with poison. Poison that kills. We think small doses of poison won't really matter. But we've got to remember that there are people suffering in hell, in torment right now for the very sins that we engage in and think of a small consequence. They're not of small consequence. They're of great consequence. The wrath of God is coming because of such sexual sin. And we should remember that if we are Christians, if we are not putting to death sexual sin in our lives, we have to ask the question, is the wrath of God still coming towards me? Am I really saved? Or am I still under God's wrath because of the way that I'm engaging with others? So there's three reasons given to us in the text why we should put sexual sin to death. We've died to it. It's idolatrous. 
and it deserves God's wrath. And so sin for the Christian is something that we have to be putting to death. It's like a wounded beast. It's mortally wounded by Christ, but it's still thrashing around within our lives and trying to cause us much pain. It's trying to cause us as much pain as it possibly can. Now, sexual sin, it may not kill the Christian spiritually, completely wipe him out, because, of course, if you're saved, you're always saved. But sexual sin can seriously maim our spiritual life. As it's a beast that's thrashing around, it can lash, lash out at us and hurt us greatly. Sin can provoke fatherly discipline. A father can say, when you get hurt by something... I told you not to go near that dog, and you're there wounded, and you're saying, Dad, I'm sorry, you know. But he's like, I, I told you not to do it. And he has little sympathy for you. Fatherly hand of discipline can come upon us for sin if we don't put it to death. The sin that we engage in can tear away our joy in Christ. Your joy that you have in the Lord Jesus, if you get engage in sin, including sexual sin, it can take away that joy that you love the Lord Jesus Christ with. And, of course, sin can quench our relationship with the Holy Spirit, ruining the strength and assurance that he gives as we engage in that sin rather than putting it to death. We can find that we're quenching our relationship with him. And so we're no longer as invigorated as we once were. And, of course, sin it may not destroy you in hell eternally, but it can limit your heavenly reward we think of that beast thrashing around, yes, mortally wounded by Christ, but it can take away chunks of your heavenly reward if you're engaged in sexual sin or any other type of sin instead of serving the Lord Jesus and looking forward to that reward that he promises. So the question then is, how do we put sin to death? If it belongs to our earthly nature, including sexual sin here, how are we to put to sin to death? It says that to do it there in verse 5, it gives us reasons why we should do it, but how do we go about putting to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, including sexual immorality? Well, first thing we need to do with that beast, that beast of sin, the first thing we need to do is make sure it is mortally wounded by the Lord Jesus. Make sure that beast is mortally wounded. No point fighting the beast if it's not already dying. We need to ask Christ to slay the dragon first before we go about putting it to death any further. What is the kind of death that the Apostle Paul is, Paul is thinking of when we're to put our sinful self to death, when we're to put that beast to death? Well, he actually tells us. There's a few places in the New Testament where we're told to put sin to death, and another place is Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, where the Apostle Paul says there, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires if we are Christians. So how does Christ crucify our sin? How does he crucify that beast that we hate so much? How does he do it for us personally? Yes, he put to death the sins of many at the cross, but how do we make sure that he has wounded our beast how do we make sure that he has crucified our sin? Well, it's by repentance and faith. By repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are the hands by which we lift up our sin and make sure that it's there on the cross with Jesus so many years ago being put to death. 
And so if you're here and you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, then your beast is not mortally wounded and it will take you with it to hell. And so I encourage you, everyone in this room, examine firstly whether the beast has a mortal wound. Don't try attacking sin on your own, as people try to do with New Year's resolutions every year, and they try and and say, I'm turning over a new leaf, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. They may be there in a prison cell and saying, this is the end, this is the last time. And they try by their own strength, they cannot put it to death. It's only by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus, as he crucifies our sin, that we have any hope of making sure that it goes even further into death. So do that first. First thing is, make sure Christ has given it a mortal wound. Then secondly, how do we put our sin to death? Well, it's by ongoing repentance and faith, again and again and again. As we find ourselves falling into sin, what should you do immediately after you've recognised that you've sinned? You come before God in repentance and say sorry. And you say once again, may the precious blood of the Lord Jesus be attributed to me and cover that offence as well as all the other offences that I've confessed before, Lord Jesus. Repentance and faith by the power of the Holy Spirit are like going up to that crucified beast of your sin and breaking its legs so that it dies even faster. We're not meant to just repent once and that's it. We're meant to come to God again and again and ask for forgiveness of sins. We see that in the Lord's Prayer. Repentance is an ongoing attitude. Whenever we find sin in our life, we find that beast there and it's been hurting us. We come to God in repentance and faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's how we live by the Spirit, is by a life of repentance and faith. Romans 8, verse 13 and 14 says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit leads us in many different ways, but one of his choice ways is by a life of repentance and trust in God. And trust in God, faith in God, does put to death sin. Why? Because you're contented. If you trust God, you trust that he is the all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, just and holy God that he is, then you're not as interested in going after the things of the flesh, the beast that lurks within. We trust him. And so we're contented. We're not greedy like verse 5 tells us about sexual sin. We're not covetous because we are content. We have faith in God. So how do you put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature? Firstly, make sure it is put to death by Christ. Secondly, whenever you find yourself engaged in sin, come quickly to God in repentance and faith. Thirdly, how else are we meant to put sin to death? Well, it's by neglect. By neglect. How did someone die by crucifixion? How does someone die by crucifixion? When we consider Jesus dying on the cross, how was it typical that someone would die by crucifixion? Well, it was usually by suffocation. They would suffocate. They could no longer hold themselves up to breathe, and so they would collapse on the cross, their lungs would be compressed, and they could not breathe any longer. So why didn't the person die immediately? Well, because they could sustain themselves to breathe. That's why it was such a torturous death that the Romans had come up with. It's a way of prolonging death for an extended period of time. The person is certainly dying, 
but they're able to keep pushing themselves up with their legs. They're able to keep pulling themselves up by their arms so that they can breathe. But eventually they run out of steam and they can't do it anymore and so they cannot breathe and so they suffocate. What is happening there at the cross then over those days that someone could be on a cross? It's deliberate neglect. Neglect of food, neglect of water to the person on the cross, neglect of, neglect of any kind of assistance or help that you could give to someone so that the person gradually can't hold themselves up any longer. Because it'd be possible to, if you cared for someone who is crucified, you could extend their life even further than what would normally happen if you looked after them, if you've stemmed the blood flow from the wounds that were made when they were put up on the cross, if you propped the body up, you gave them a seat to sit on, a crossbar, so that they could hold themselves up for an extended period of time, if you fed the person and gave them a drink and helped them to breathe, you could extend someone's life. But if you neglect giving them food, giving them water, giving them any kind of assistance, of course, that will speed up the approaching death. And so if we want to speed up the death of our crucified beast, our sin which we're picturing as a crucified beast, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to neglect it. We're supposed to neglect it. We're not supposed to bandage its wounds or feed it or give it a drink or give it any kind of oxygen. We're meant to neglect our sin. But sadly, we tend to do the opposite. We encourage it. We support it. We help it stay alive and strong. So how do we neglect sin? Well, actively, we remove all support to the sinful beast. What supports the beast of sin? Well, certain circumstances, certain things, and certain people in our lives can all give life to the sin that is within us and that wants to hurt us. Consider sexual sin, which is the primary focus of these verses here. We will get to the, as I said before, to other sins in later weeks to come. But consider sexual sin. How is it fed? How is it supported? by circumstances, by things, and by people. Well, we consider circumstances. Certain hours, certain locations can lead to intense sexual temptation and are really just a feeding of the beast that is within. We read from Proverbs chapter 7 before, which illustrates this so well. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7 says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Now, why does he lack judgment? He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Circumstances, the location, the time of this young man, he was putting himself in temptation's way. He was feeding the beast that was within, by putting himself in that situation and at that time. He's like he's putting an umbrella up over his crucified beast so the sun doesn't beat down upon it as much and so it can prosper and prop itself up and live longer. What would we do if we're supposed to put sin to death in that situation? What would you advise such a young man? Avoid certain places that leads you into temptation. Establish healthy routines. Don't stay up late at night if you're led into temptation. Go to bed when the family goes to bed. And you will not support the beast that is ready to devour you if you will give it a chance. Also, not just circumstances, but things can support our sin. And when it comes to sexual sin, the obvious one is pornographic magazines and erotic novels. 
But, I mean, the big one in our day is unfiltered internet access is probably the most dangerous source of temptation for those who are tempted of sexual sin. When it comes to pornography, internet access is like feeding our crucified beast donuts. It's like giving him what he wants most of all that will sustain him there while he's on the cross. But we're supposed to put sin to death by neglect. So what would you advise an internet porn addict? Filter your internet or cut it off altogether. Just cut it off. If it's leading you astray all the time, get rid of it. You don't need it. People live for thousands of years without the internet. You'll be fine. That's what it means to put sin to death. We're not supposed to feed it and support it. We're meant to cut off those things that will encourage it and get it to live longer. Thirdly, how else are we meant to put our sin to death by neglect? Well, it's by people that support our sin. We're meant to look at those people in our lives who support our sin. And when it comes to sexual sin, it's often a boyfriend or a girlfriend who can pressure you for sex outside of marriage. Letting someone else pressure you into sexual sin is like propping your crucified beast up. Like you've got someone there under it, holding it up on their shoulders, making sure it survives longer. You're letting that person help you out by keeping your crucified beast alive. But we're meant to, according to the Apostle Paul, according to God's word, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earthly nature. So what does it mean to put sin to death by neglect when it comes to people? What would you advise someone who says, my girlfriend always pressures me for sex, or my boyfriend always pressures me for sex? What would you say if we're meant to put sin to death? Break up with the person. Neglect that person. Break up with them so that your sin is neglected and so that you're no longer tempted to such sexual sin. Now, this sermon may make us feel uncomfortable this morning. Firstly, because it's about sexual sin. I don't think I've said sex so many times in a, in a sermon before. And it's about violent action. I've been talking about crucifying sin, about taking drastic measures of neglect towards our sin. But really, I don't sound too radical compared to Jesus when he speaks about sexual sin in the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say when it came to lust? Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's how he sees adultery. Anyone that you look at with lust in your heart. And then he tells you what he thinks you should do in that situation. What does Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You thought I was being violent this morning. See, I'm not telling you to cut your hand off or gouge out your eye. I'm just telling you to cut the internet off or drop that boyfriend or girlfriend that's pressuring you to engage in sexual sin. You may say, oh, but it's so difficult to put sin to death. Yes, it is. The beast will growl and lash out at you even while it's there on the cross if you get too close to it. And it may even beg you for food, plead with you, and use all kinds of arguments. Come on, give me something so that I can live rather than be put to death. But there is hope. At first, it may get very violent towards you. 
But as you cut off the food supply for a while, as you neglect that beast that's there being crucified by Jesus, it does weaken. It does weaken and his arguments are not so persuasive anymore. And his lashing out is not so hurtful as it was before. And eventually you may even be able to connect to the internet again without being tempted to look at pornography on it anymore. It is difficult, but as you neglect that beast and he starves and thirsts, he does get weaker and weaker and weaker. And neglect can be easy as well to do. Yes, it can be difficult when you say, yes, I'm going to actively neglect that beast and cut off these particular things that feed it and encourage it. But it can be easy to do, to neglect something. Why does a mother sometimes neglect a child? Engage in appalling neglect of a child? Usually because the mother is distracted by something else that takes her attention completely away from a child. It could be work, it could be materialism, it could be other friends, and so she's always off gallivanting and the child's at home by itself. The mother is distracted So neglect of the child has become easy. Things that she probably would never have imagined happening to her child before. And neglecting a child in such a way has become easy because she's so consumed with her work that she has little time for her children anymore. And so it is with sin. We can actively actively neglect our sin by saying, look, I'm going to cut this off, I'm going to do this, I'm going to stop feeding it in these ways. But we can also passively neglect our sin by just being totally distracted from sin. We can fill our lives with wholesome activities so that sin is not fed in the way that we would have done previously when we had a lot more time on our hands and we were much more interested, therefore, engaging in sin as we are idle. What do I mean by this? How can we fill our lives with wholesome activities? Well, one way is by work. A man who has worked hard all day can't keep his eyes open to watch porn. He has to go to bed because he's starting to get a headache. And he just needs that sleep. We see an example of that, how someone should have been working and was engaged in sin in the Old Testament. Who is the example there? The one who's often held up as an example of sexual sin, of someone who was very righteous but failed in such a grievous way? King David. King David. And what does it say at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11 where it then gives this account of how David ended up sleeping with another man's wife and murdering that man so he could have that woman. What does it say at the very beginning of that chapter? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, when kings go off to war, at the time when kings go off to war, what was David doing? He was staying in Jerusalem. He wasn't off fighting the battles that he was called to do. He let Joab, his commander, go out and do the battling. When kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem and therefore had the time to be up on his rooftop looking down on the roofs of others and saw a woman bathing and was tempted and led astray into sexual sin. And so if we fill our lives with wholesome work that the Lord has given us, we don't have the time to be feeding our sin with the things that we may give it. But the big distraction, of course, for us from sin is the Lord himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spiritual exercises can fill our lives so that we're not interested in feeding our sin. 
if we're reading our Bible regularly, if we're praying, if we're singing Christian songs, if we're listening to sermons and reading good Christian books and enjoying time with fellowship with other believers, engaged in evangelism, all these exercises, they take time. People say, oh, yes, I can't find time to pray. Well, are you finding time to sin? If you're regularly spending a good portion of your day in prayer and on Sunday mornings, you're not at home on the computer doing things that you shouldn't be, engaging in spiritual exercises takes away your time from feeding sin. It's the most wholesome of activities. Yes, work can fill up your life as well, and we are designed to work, and it will take you away from doing daft things. But the joy of such spiritual exercises can satisfy so that we don't think of certain sins any longer. And so we live by the Spirit and will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, as Galatians 5, verse 16 says. If we're living by the Spirit, engaged in spiritual exercises on a regular basis, then, of course, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, as Galatians 5 says. So let us put sin to death, not just sexual sin, but all sin. All sin. Let's put it to death. Let's make sure Christ has given the mortal wound and crucified our sin first and foremost. Let's make sure that we're repentant of our sins and trusting in him. And then let's break the legs of the beast as well. He's crucified by Christ. He's up on the cross, but let's break his legs by ongoing repentance and faith. Every time you fall into sin, quickly flee to the cross and trust in Christ again by the power of his Holy Spirit. And then let's actively neglect sin, refusing to support it with circumstances, with things and with people that are going to lead us into temptation. And so my question this week for you is, what are you going to cut off from your crucified beast this week? What are you going to cut off? What drastic measure are you going to do to neglect the sin that you're meant to be putting to death? And let's also passively neglect the sin by filling our lives with activity including religious exercises. What regular, wholesome activity are you going to add to your life this week? Would it be too hard for you to add half an hour of prayer and Bible reading every day this week? What about an hour? Set a timer in the evening. Don't go near the internet. Sit there with a timer. Read the Bible and pray. What are you going to add to your life this week so that you passively neglect the beast that is crucified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we put sin to death so much that it barely moves. We have to remember that it won't die in this world to us. We, of course, will still struggle with sin for the rest of our lives until we reach glory. But it's a crucified beast. It's slowly dying and we can speed up its death and so it doesn't hurt us as much. Let's do it so that sin in our hearts barely moves, let alone harms us and harms our relationship with God. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one who has crucified our sins so that it is slowly dying. We could not do it. It was only you alone that could give that mortal blow to our sin. But Lord Jesus, we ask that you would forgive us for feeding our crucified, sinful self. And we ask that you would help us to try harder to neglect sin by cutting off supports for it and by being so distracted with you and your work 
that we are not interested in sin any longer. We do not think about how to gratify the sinful nature because we're thinking about wholesome things. We're thinking about you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.